precious Father in heaven, thank you so much for touching each of our hearts, for making us of value. Though we deserve to have no value, you came and you touched our lives and you gave us infinite value. Lord, today I pray that you would speak to us with power. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we may have many different things on our mind this morning, but I pray that one thing would take the focus, and that is Jesus. I ask that Jesus would be lifted up. I ask that your word would speak to us in a way that changes our lives and that makes them forever better. Pray this because of Jesus and all that he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. When Leah and I started off in ministry, we joined a traveling ministry called the Youth Evangelism Team. Now, on that ministry, it meant that we were going to be traveling around usually every few weeks, sometimes every month or so. We were going to be moving to a different place around the California vicinity from Bakersfield to San Francisco. Uh, That was the south and north borders of the Central California Conference. We were doing youth programs for schools and all different things like that. As we talked to her parents about what should we do, should we get uh, maybe a place that we rent kind of off in the mountains that we could go to when we have a weekend off, they said, no, you know what you need to do? You need to buy a motorhome and live in it. We thought, buy a motorhome? That was never our dream when we were getting married to live in a motorhome, but we began to look around, and as we were looking at different motorhomes, eventually we found one They said, this it's amazing. This is, this is a great opportunity. God has brought this motorhome at a great price. It was one that was definitely livable. And so we bought a Winnebago Brave. It was 30 feet long, and we were so excited to spend the next few years living in this motorhome. Now, I don't know how many of you have spent a lot of time living in a motorhome or a trailer, but before long, I was just hoping that the thing wouldn't fall apart. Uh, Thankfully, nothing major went wrong with it, but I just kept having this feeling that things were so fragile that they were just on the verge of breaking, and I'm not a very handy person, so I wasn't looking forward to having to fix these different things. So by the end of two years, we began to pray and say, what should we do? And Leah was talking about, well, maybe we want to have this for camp meeting. We could keep it to have each year. And I was thinking, well, maybe we should sell it so we have money because then we were going to go off to school at Andrews University. My paycheck was going to be cut down to a quarter and she wasn't going to be getting any pay and she was going to be going to school alongside me. So maybe we need to sell this. Well, let's, let's pray about it. So we began to pray about it. And I encourage you, when you have a decision to make, take special note of how God speaks to you each morning. Take time and say, God, would you speak to me through your word? Don't necessarily change your normal reading plan, but but when you wake up in the morning and you're reading through, if you're on the Believe His Prophets uh, reading program that we've been doing, we're in Genesis. We're up to, I think, Genesis chapter, what was it this morning, 27? And we're reading through Genesis. Watch and see how God speaks to you right in the place where you're reading. And trust God, trust His word to speak to you. So we were reading and we saw different things. At first, when we got a few offers, we thought it was telling us to wait. And so we waited. Another week went past. And it was getting down to the wire. It was getting down to camp meeting time. And after camp meeting, the day after, we were going to be traveling off. And before long, we were going to be heading to Andrews University. So we said, we need to sell 
this motorhome fast if we're really supposed to do that, or we need to know that we need to keep it if that's what we're supposed to do. Well, one day we were having our worship. Leah came out from her worship and she said, I think God's telling us to sell it. I think, I think it's time for us to sell it, to take this offer that's been given to us. And I had been reading that morning and I'd actually been reading and it said, sell that ye have and give alms. <laughs> I was reading through the Gospels. I said, that's what I heard too. It's time for us to sell this motorhome. And so we had it. Uh, we took the offer and we ended up selling it the day before camp meeting. We went to camp meeting and we stayed with her parents instead of staying in our own motorhome. And I was just so thankful that we had trusted in what God had told us because now I was looking forward to going to Andrews University and we were going to have a little bit of cash on hand as we entered into that difficult time. Uh, invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 Jesus gives some crucial instructions when it comes to handling our finances. It's interesting that a preacher, an itinerant preacher from Galilee, one of these humble parts of the, of, of the countryside, uh, somebody from Nazareth, where they would say, can anything of value come from Nazareth, that he would give such wise and incredible counsel on money. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you ever had a lot of conflicting thoughts during a sermon? You're thinking about what's going on in your business. You're thinking about all the stuff that's been going on the past week. And you're trying to, trying to focus. What is he talking about? I, I want to get a blessing today. But you're thinking, well, ah, is this deal going to work out? Or how am I going to make ends meet? Is the rent check going to work out? Well, here's a guy who's wondering these things as he's sitting and listening to Jesus. He says, Jesus, would you... And finally, he just yells out to, the te- to Jesus. He says, would you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? We don't know if this was the younger brother, and so he's actually asking for more than his part, or if this is the older brother, and somehow there's something going on that he's not getting what he's supposed to have. But one way or another, he feels like he's being wronged. He feels like he deserves more. He's concerned about his financial needs. Do you have some financial concerns? <laughs> Living in America, I know that most every person has some sort of financial concerns. No matter how much funds we have, often this is in the back of our mind wondering how are we going to make ends meet? Or what are we going to do with the funds that we do have? Where should we invest? Is the, the market going to last? Should, can we trust in these things? So this man asked Jesus to help him out. Verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Wow. So here he comes asking Jesus for help and Jesus says, who made me a judge over you? Who made me arbitrator over your financial dealings? And then Jesus goes on to say this. He said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. It's all too easy to begin to trust in the funds that we have. Have you ever noticed on every single dollar bill, here I have one that I don't very often have, that's a hundred dollar bill. On the back it says, in God we trust. This has been a contentious thing to be put on the money, but it's, it's been on the money for years 
And it's the slogan of the United States of America, in God we trust. But what if I was just to tear this in half? How many of you would be okay with that? Or what if I just took a match and I burned this? Or if I just dropped this in the plants back here, how many of you would be coming to to hunt it out after the service? Some of you are already plotting. You're not even thinking about what I'm going to say. All you can think about is, I hope he forgets to go back to that tree so I could get that $100. Why does that piece of paper mean that much to you? Why does it mean that much to me? It's a promise. It's a promise of, of some precious metal. And it's something that so often I've found in my life that I've trusted in to provide for my needs. That paper cannot feed me. That paper uh, doesn't have nutritional value enough to sustain me, but I know that when I take it to the restaurant that they're going to provide what I need. Or if I go to the grocery store, that I'm going to get the supplies that I need. But Jesus says, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Because I was thinking about going off to seminary and I was thinking about this financially difficult time. I was so thankful to have this nest egg that we were going to be able to trust in, that we would be able to make it through, that we'd be able to graduate from Andrews and Leah's education would be debt free, that we'd be able to, to go through and not have any concerns. Jesus goes on and he says this. He tells a story in verse 16. He says, Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. Now, if the ground yields, those of you who have worked with farming or gardening, who gets the credit for that? If, if I plant a seed in the ground, what can I possibly do to really make it grow? I mean, I can provide the right environment. I can provide the fertilizer that it needs. I can provide the water for it. But who causes the growth of that seed? Without God, there's no life. That, that plant can never grow. And so here he has that not only has the ground yielded, but it yielded plentifully for this rich man. So who should get the credit for that? Who's the one that gives us the ability to make wealth? Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Don't forget me when you go to the promised land, but remember that I'm the one who gives you the ability to make wealth. Well, Jesus continues in Luke 12.17. He says, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? This is a great problem. He says, look at this. An overabundance, more money's coming in, more crops than I know what to do with. What should I do? So he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I've got this nest egg stashed up. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be able to make it through the coming years. Life is good. It's time to retire. Isn't that the ultimate goal of much of our work here in America? Work as hard as you can so that one day you can retire. I remember uh, my grandpa had the dream of, of becoming a golfer when he retired from being an Adventist minister. Well, by the time he got to the age of retirement and he started to go golfing, he didn't really like it that much. <laughs> Never really did much golfing. I have seen so many people who've worked day in and day out, slaving their lives away, working so many hours, but just looking forward to those days when finally they get to retire. And just this last week, I saw it happen again, where one person 
who was just on the verge of retirement, died before he even got to that moment. Look at what happens in this story. It says, So I will do this in verse 18. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And then verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry. Retire. Enjoy the good life. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Here you've stored all this up, but this very night your life is going to come to an end. And then what does it matter? What will that wealth have have done for you? What is that really going to do for you? Is it really in God that we are trusting? Is that when I look forward to the future, am I really trusting in God to provide for my every need? Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, when you have a nest egg like that, when you have something that you're relying on, that you're counting on, that this is my future, this is what's going to get me through, it can be kind of worrisome when you see the market going up and down like we've seen over the past many years. Have you noticed the cycles of the market you have seven years ago? In 2008, we had a massive crash and so many people lost their 401k. They lost the the investments. They lost so much money in the market. Seven years before that, in 2001, you had another huge crash. Again and again, we see this taking place where we realize that it's not as stable as we want to make it out to be. We realize that we can't really trust in any bank. We can't really trust in any investment. We can't trust in anything but in Jesus. That's a worrisome way to live your life to trust in those things. I didn't realize it, but headed off to school, if I was really going to trust in those funds during that year to provide for us, it was going to be a worrisome year. Because what happens over the, actually it was going to be two years, when it begins to dwindle and I begin to wonder where the next meal is going to come from. But Jesus gives us the answer, starting in verse 22 of Luke 12. Then He said to His disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your, your life. Stop worrying. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food. Really? Did you catch that? Life is more than food. I need that. I need to realize that because food can become pretty important to me. The body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which having neither storehouse nor barn, And God feeds them. They don't have a savings account. They don't build up all kinds of things to provide for themselves in the future. And yet, God provides for them. Jesus gives a simple teaching. Maybe He saw a raven flying over at that point and just points them off to the bird and says, look at how free His life is. He just trusts each day as He goes about His day that God is going to provide for Him. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Growing up, I I used to think that maybe if I thought hard enough, I would get taller. And somehow I managed to be the tallest in my family, but I didn't get quite as tall as I would have liked to be, although I'm I'm glad I'm only as tall as I am. (laughs) Except for when I stand next to Steve Mulder. Then I question that. But who of you, by being anxious, can 
add even just one cubit, just 18 inches to your height, can you do it? If, if I think hard about it enough, if I worry enough about it, can I add anything to my life? Can I add any length to my life? You know, when you come down to the end of your life, I think it was Queen Elizabeth, uh, one of the, or one of the early queens actually, who was, as she was dying, she said, what I would give for one more moment of time. She would have given all of her wealth, all the things that she had, just for a little more time. We can't add length to our life any more than we can add height to our life. And Jesus said, why worry about it? If you are not able, it's verse 26, to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. That's incredible. Here was Solomon, the one who said in his day that stones, that silver was just as valuable as pebbles. Silver was so common in his day. He was the one who had thousands of chariots and he had all of these horses. He had all the women that he could possibly want. He had all this wealth from all these different nations. And it says all of that, all that splendor, all of that glory, it doesn't compare to that little lily that's growing in that God clothes. There's nothing like trusting in God. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. If you think about the majority of conflicts going on in the world today, if you think about the majority of wars in the past, so often at the very root of what takes place is covetousness. It's people grasping after things. It's, it's people wanting to expand their territory to the expense of somebody else. So often, it's covetousness. It's desiring. It's what the nations are seeking. And Jesus says, don't worry about all that. Don't follow after them. Don't, don't try to keep up with the Joneses next door. Don't worry about having the biggest house in your neighborhood. Just trust me to provide for your every need. Verse 31, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He says, just seek the kingdom of God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on His work. Focus on helping people to learn about Jesus. Just listening to that story about the violin and how the master's touch revealed the infinite value of the violin just to realize the value of one individual person who maybe because of your influence, because you decide, hey, I don't really need to work that many hours at work. Maybe I could take an extra hour each week. Maybe I could take an extra five hours each week and I could downsize some things and, and I could take some time to tell some more people about Jesus. And imagine throughout eternity as there's just one more person there. Maybe there's five more people there. Maybe there's ten more people there. Imagine the value of that throughout eternity. What in the world could compare to that? No boat could compare to that. No motorhome could compare to that. No toy that you could possibly have could compare to having treasure in heaven. Jesus is trying to get this across 
You know, the more that we build up, the more possessions that we have, the more stressful life gets. Have you ever noticed that? That's what I found with my motorhome. Having a motorhome, I was just worried about it breaking down. I was worried driving it, that I was going to crash it. I was worried somebody was going to bump into it. I constantly, I would be backing up and I'd hear a loud bang and I'd run out. Oh no, Leah, what did I do? I think I wrecked the motorhome. No, you just ran over a basketball. It's going to be okay. You know what it's like when you have treasures here on earth. It provides all kinds of anxiety. You're constantly wondering, are these things going to be okay? Jesus says, I'll show you the secret. I don't want you to have to be so stressed. I don't want you to have to be so anxious. Just put my kingdom first. Then he goes on to say this. Verse 32 is an amazing promise. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It delights God to give you the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's what means the most to the Father to give you the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 33. This was the verse that, that I, I read and I thought, okay, I need to sell the motorhome. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a challenging thing. Does Jesus literally mean for all these people to sell what they have and then to, that they're going to have treasure in heaven? And is that really what he's saying? Flip over with me to Luke 14. Luke 14, starting in verse 28. Jesus, back in verse 25, it says, Now a great multitude was gathered together with him, and he, he turns to this crowd, and as he's speaking to them, he says this, starting in verse 28, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So who, when they're building a tower, doesn't think, do I have enough to make sure that I complete this task? lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? It's an interesting story about Alexander the Great. Except for this time, he wasn't quite Alexander the Great. He was just known as little Alex, I guess. But Alex hadn't conquered the world yet. Alex was going to conquer the neighboring country of Persia, who was then the ruling power. And as he went to face King Darius at the Battle of Guagamela, he was going with an army of 100,000 people. It's a lot. That's a, a great army to have. Except for that Darius had a million men in his army. So here you have Alex, and he's going to face this huge battle. He draws up the battle plans, and he gets his generals together, and he divides up, you're going to go this way, you're going to go this way, and you're going to watch the supplies. And he gets all the the plans together, and he has this battle plan drawn up for the Battle of Guagamela. Historians tell us that as the battle was raging, Alexander the Great would often go out into the front of the battle so that his men could see him there fighting. And he's there fighting in the front of the lines. And all of a sudden, a messenger comes running up to him. out of breath. And he gets to him. He says, Alexander, Alexander. He says, okay, what is it? What is it? Must be urgent news from another part of the battle. 
the messenger comes to him and says, oh, the general that you assigned to, to look out for the supplies, he needs reinforcements. They're, gonna, they're coming up from behind us and they're going to take out our supplies. Alexander looks at him and says, the supplies, when are they getting that I'm taking over the world? He says, look, you can tell the general to forget the supplies because if we lose today, then we die fighting. But if we win today, then all of Persia is ours. Forget the supplies and have him join the battle. And that day, they beat Darius, that million-man army, and they did have all of Persia. And soon all the wealth of Persia was theirs because they forgot about the supplies. Later on, Alexander the Great faced a similar thing when he was in India and he was going through India. He one day was feeling like their progress was just being bogged down. And he was really wanting to get to, to move more rapidly. That was his strategy, was to move as rapidly as possible. And he's sitting there in his camp and he looks out when all of a sudden he jumps up and he goes and he grabs a torch and he runs to his wagon that was laden with supplies from Persia and he puts the torch to that wagon. And as it begins to burn, he says, send out the order to burn all of the treasures that we got back in Persia. Because he knew something, that that baggage was slowing them down, that, that hanging on to that treasure, they were losing their focus, they were losing their mission, they were no longer able to move forward like they had before. The same is true for you and me. When we begin to hang on to that treasure, when we begin to amass things in our lives, pretty soon we lose our focus. Pretty soon we're so busy trying to keep a schedule to be able to take care of that stuff, to be able to keep up the big yard, to be able to keep up all of the toys that we got. And we don't have time for His kingdom. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first these things and all these other things will be added unto you. And look at how He continues in Luke chapter 14, verse 32, he continues saying, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So this man who's going to fight this battle, he has to consider whether he's able to overcome the 20,000 soldiers. And then verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake, what is it? All that he has cannot be my disciple. Sometimes we think that we can have Jesus and we can have our stuff too. That it's okay to have both. But Jesus says, you can't follow me and hang on to your stuff. Not because He doesn't want what's best for us. Not because Jesus wants to take away our toys. But because Jesus wants for you to have the best life ever. Because Jesus wants for your heart to be with Him. And where your treasure is, there He knows that your heart is going to be also. So He says, put your treasure into My work. Put your treasure into working with Me. And you see this throughout the Gospels. When Jesus calls somebody, often it says, and they forsook all and followed Him. Some of them still had houses. He goes over to their, their house for dinner. But so often when, when He called Levi Matthew, what did he say? He left all of his business there as a tax collector and he followed Jesus. When he called Andrew and James and John, they left their, their boats, they left their nets just to follow Jesus. And there were others, others who had a lot 
of it together. We read later on in Luke, Luke chapter 17, we read about a man who was keeping the commandments, a man who was following God as best he knew how, but he comes to Jesus recognizing that he wants something more. Maybe you're recognizing that this morning. You say, you know, I've been going to church for years. I, I feel like I have it. I, things should be better between me and Jesus. I should be more in love with Jesus, but I feel like something's missing. Jesus looks at this man and Desire of Ages tells us that he had love in his heart. He had compassion, it says in, I think it's Matthew, for this rich young ruler. He looks at him and he says, one thing you lack then, go and sell all that you possess and you will have treasure in heaven. Sadly though, to that guy, that stuff that he had, that, I don't know, 10,000 camels and 10,000 donkeys and things that archaeologists are, are maybe digging up in the Holy Lands today. All of that stuff that he had was somehow of more value to him than to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And he went away sorrowful. And Jesus said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The disciples are shocked by this saying, well, how, who could be saved then? And Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. You may feel like, I don't know how to live any other way. I mean, this is just the way we're used to existing. How else do we provide for ourselves unless we have all this stuff? Jesus says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And you see Jesus' disciples following through on this. Look at Acts chapter 2. After Jesus has ascended to heaven, we recognize the disciples living out the life that Jesus had challenged them to live. Jesus told them to do these things, and they actually went all the way in doing this. I love in Acts chapter 2, the end, uh, Peter has been preaching this sermon, and in verse 41 it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Wouldn't that be an amazing church to be a part of? 3,000 baptized in a day. Signs and wonders happening. You read later on, Peter would walk down the street and people would place their uh, sick people along the street just so that his shadow could pass over them and they would be healed on the spot. Incredible power of God being revealed in Acts. But look at how they're living. Verse 44. Now all who believed, how many? All who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They held everything in common. They said this is all for the common good of advancing the kingdom. That's all we're about. It's not about building up our 401k. It's not about having all that we need to provide for ourselves in the future. It's about building the kingdom. And look at what it says happened. In verse 
45, 46, it says, So continuing with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't you love for that to happen, that daily people are walking into our church being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ? because of the unity that they see that we have, because of the love that they see that we share, because we are all in. We're holding nothing back. We have no treasure for ourselves anymore, but it's all for the kingdom of God. That is Jesus' dream for you and me. He doesn't want us to have to be stressed out anymore. How are we going to provide for ourselves? He wants us to, to be wise. I'm thankful for the Financial Peace University and how we can learn especially how to get out of debt. But more than anything, He wants for us to invest in the kingdom. To say, God, how much can I return to you? He's asked clearly for a tenth of our income that every time I get a paycheck, the very first thing that I do is to say, okay, 10% of this is going straight to His kingdom. But then on top of that, if, if God has blessed my life and all, every one of us has been blessed, then He asked me to return thank offerings, to return more on top of that, to give to, to things like the local church budget, which provides for having a vacation Bible school like we had this last week, which sends over 50% of it to the school so that our young people can learn about Jesus. He asked me to invest in, in children overseas. He asked me to give to His kingdom. And then I'm going to see eternal results. So that camp meeting, we went to camp meeting and we had the, the check in the bank. But during that camp meeting, Leah and I did what we do every camp meeting, and that is pray about a special offering that takes place at camp meeting, and that is the evangelism offering. And as we began to hear some of the stories about what God was doing, we were so inspired to think about this offering that over the coming year would result in people learning about Jesus and people being saved for eternity. And as we thought about these things, we thought, what is God calling us to give? And we were praying, saying, God, would you make it clear to us? We were praying the prayer that we challenged each other to pray last week. God, would you help me to give more? Since you're the one who provides for my needs, would you help me to actually be able to give more to your cause? So we were praying this prayer, Lord, help us to be able to give more. Just challenge us. Help us to, to know that we can just rely on you over the coming years when we're at Andrews, that you'll give us the funds that we need. So we were praying separately. We wanted to, to be able to come back together and, and have the same number and we could agree on it. It came to the last Sabbath, and we were part of the offering appeal that last Sabbath because they had the youth uh, teams up in front. We came down off the stage, and we, we said, okay, what is God calling us to do? What, what number has he laid on your heart? So Leah gave me the number that she had, and I gave her the number that I had, and it was about $2,000 different. thought, oh, what are we supposed to do? And so we agreed together. We said, you know what, we're probably just supposed to give the bigger number. Let's just give the bigger number. That'll be fine. But we just didn't have peace about it. We just didn't feel comfortable with that. And so we said, you know what, let's, let's pray a little bit more this afternoon about what God really wants us to do. That afternoon, as we were praying and we were reading our Bibles, 
I did something that I don't necessarily recommend that you often do when you need an answer from God, but I was just kind of randomly reading, reading here and there as the Bible opened. And Leah had an idea. She said, maybe God has given us these two different numbers because he wants us to add them together so we could give both numbers. And I'm thinking, I don't know about that. <laughs> How's that even possible? I don't know. I mean, maybe with the motorhome funds we could cover it, but then what do we do after that? We're going to have to go in debt for school. And I don't think so, Leah. I don't know that God's really calling us to do that. Well, I was sitting there in another meeting and I wasn't paying as close attention as I should, but I was reading, and I was reading in books like Chronicles, and I kept coming across this number. This number that I didn't know was in the Bible anywhere, but it was everywhere that day. Everywhere I looked, here's this number, and the number was the two numbers added together. And I thought, how is this possible? God, you keep showing me this number, but this can't be right. We're not supposed to give this. How can we do this? It doesn't make financial sense. It's not in the budget. It's not going to work out. We're not even going to have an income next year. I thought, I know what I'll do. And I began to add up a sequence of numbers. You know, Chronicles has a lot of different numbers in it. Said, I'll add up this chapter and all the numbers that are in it, and let's see what that comes up to. So I'm there and I, I'm counting through, I add up all the numbers. You wouldn't believe it, but it came to that number plus $200. <laughs> so Leah had been praying and I hadn't been telling her all that was going on, and she said, I really feel like God's telling us to combine the two numbers. What do you feel like? I said, like, I, I guess God's telling us to do it plus $200. Let's do it. We had tears in our eyes as we wrote that pledge, not knowing how the next two years were going to go. What were we going to do? Here we are in our 20s, new, newly married, just a few years into our marriage, going off to school. Somehow, I wanted her to get her bachelor's while we were there. And how are we going to afford that? How are we going to pay our rent? How are we going to make it through? All we had was the promise of Jesus. Sell what you have and give alms and you will have treasure in heaven. Seek first my kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. I suddenly remembered that the command to sell the motorhome, I had neglected the second part of that. It said, and give alms. <laughs> We'd sold the motorhome, but during that year, God led us to give away everything that we'd gotten from the motorhome. And I can't tell you how God showed up for us again and again during that year. When we got to, well, actually, even before we got to Andrews, we were helped in getting our car ready to go there. God provided funds for all different kinds of things. When we got there and we're moving into the apartment, we moved in and it was terrible. <laughs> The apartment was a mess. It was a wreck. And as we looked at this apartment, we're think, I remember going into the back room and Leah was saying, maybe we need to try to find another place to live. I remember kneeling down and saying, God, I don't understand. We just pledged to give more than ever before. And here you are putting us in this apartment that's terrible, that, that my wife doesn't want to live in. We prayed about it. We realized that there was no other option. And then pretty soon, the maintenance guy comes by and he gives us some new furniture. Leah's mom was there and she worked so hard to clean the place. And, and pretty soon we began looking around at the other apartments and ours was the only one with new linoleum and new carpet. 
And by the end, people were walking past our apartment and they look in and they'd be like, how did you guys get all this stuff in here? Where did this come from? Say, well, I don't know. God, we're just very thankful for it. God showed up for us in that. And then we went to the manager and said, you know, when we got here, the apartment was so trashed. It was, it, it had, it was dust all along the window seals. The bathroom was filthy. Can you do something to help us out? There was no refrigerator in it. All these different problems it had. He said, yeah. He said, I'll write off your first rent check so that you don't have to pay a month's worth of rent. God kept showing up for us again and again. And over those coming two years, God provided for Leah's education that we didn't have to go in debt at all for her education. Now, when we were driving back to California two years later to embark on a new ministry journey, we didn't have a lot of cash in our bank account. In fact, I think we were down to the wire. But we had no debt. And I can tell you that we had no worries. We had no anxieties. And I wish that I always lived my life that way. That I challenge God to be faithful to His promises, trusting in God, just like it says on our money. In God we trust. Realizing that He can provide for all of my needs. I don't need what this $100 bill can provide for me. I need what God can provide for me. I don't need what money can do. I don't need money. I can't eat this. This won't provide a house for me. But God can do that for me. All I need is Jesus. And Jesus will provide for everything else I need. Friends, we're coming down to a time in earth's history when we need to learn to trust this like never before. We're coming to a time when financial things could change very rapidly. If you look in Revelation 14, the last verse we'll look at, Revelation chapter 13, sorry, it tells us about a time that is coming very soon where things are going to change for this entire planet. And I have no idea how soon this could be. It could be months from now. It could be a few years from now. But I know that this day is coming because prophecy is sure. And I want to be ready in this day to trust Jesus. I want to be ready in this day to have no regrets, to have given my all to Jesus. Revelation chapter 13, the end of the chapter. It says in verse 16, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no one may what? buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Friends, if I'm not ready to trust Jesus today, what makes me ready to trust Jesus tomorrow? If I'm not willing to sell things today in order to give to his kingdom, what makes me ready to trust him tomorrow? If I'm not ready to go through my house and say, okay, the thrift store needs some more things so that kids can learn about Jesus, what's going to make me ready to trust when it's all taken away from me? If I'm not ready to give to His kingdom now, then what's going to happen when I'm threatened with it all taken away from me? Am I going to be like the rich young ruler who although I I was keeping the commandments all along, when I get to that point, the stuff just means too much to me and I just want to hang on to it? Am I going to get to that point and wish saying, I wish that I could sell something more at this point. I wish, I wish that I had given it to God's kingdom. Look at my house going to waste. Look at the cars going to waste. Look at the things that I, I could have sold if only 
I trusted in Jesus. Love what it says in the book Maranatha. Page 183 says, There is a time coming when commandment keepers can neither buy nor sell. Make haste to dig out your buried talents. In the last extremity before His work shall close, thousands will be cheerfully laid upon the altar. Men and women will feel it a blessed privilege to share in the work of preparing souls to stand in the great day of God, and they will give hundreds as readily as dollars are given now. If we, if the love of Christ were burning in the hearts of His professed people, we would see the same Spirit manifested today. Did they but realize how near is the end of all work for the salvation of souls, they would sacrifice their possessions as freely as did the members of the early church. I'm not here today to tell you when you should sell all your stuff and give it to God's kingdom, but I'm here to tell you that you want to do it when Jesus tells you to. And I'm here to tell you that you can trust Jesus. That you can trust Him to provide for all of your needs. That if you were to today to go and sell all of your house and all of your stuff and to take all of those investments and give it to His kingdom, that you can't outgive God. That He would provide for your needs. Today, I just want to challenge you to one simple thing. Number one, two simple things. Number one, to give it all to God. To surrender it all to God. To say, God, all that I have, my job, everything, I want it to be yours. If that's your desire today, if you want to say, it's all for your kingdom, then I want you to stand with me this morning and say, God, all that I have, I want it to be for your kingdom. I don't know when you're going to ask me to give it, but I want it to be for your kingdom. And then I want to challenge you over the coming week to pray a very specific prayer. Not just over the coming week, but continually as we see the world changing around us, to pray and ask God, do you want me to sell more? Is there something that I could cut back on? Could I cut back some hours at work? Could I retire early and work more for your kingdom? Could I downsize? Is there any way that I could be more efficient with what I have so that I could work more for your kingdom, so that I could give more to your kingdom, so that souls will be in heaven because of what I've been able to do because of what you've given me? Just pray that prayer and ask Jesus, and He'll make it clear to you. If we really open our hearts and say, God, is it now? Is now the time when I need to be ready to give all? He'll make it clear to you. He'll make it clear how to move forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we can trust You to provide for our every need. One day soon, we're not going to be able to trust in what our money can buy for us. We're not going to be able to trust in the things which we've laid up. Help us to have money bags in heaven. Help us to have eternal treasure. Not just because... We don't want to abandon you in that day, but because we want to love you with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way of an anxiety-free life. Help us to trust you. Help us to be able to take the motto seriously. In God, we trust. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.